Good afternoon, Covenant Church. It's good to see you all. Hope you're doing fine by God's grace, by faith. Uh, we are in the sermon series in the book of Esther. I'm looking for my manuscript, if you're watching. <laughs> I hid it in the drawer. I forgot that. Forgot about that. But anyways, uh, uh, we're in chapter 2. So as you can see in your bulletins, you can turn to page 5, or if you want to use your own Bibles, uh, please turn to uh, the book of Esther, chapter 2. Now, would you all stand as we're going to read God's holy word? Esther, chapter 2, verse 19. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as we come before you, before your word, and I worship to you. We ask that you will meet each one of us. We have lived in this broken world for the, for the past one week with a bunch of broken, broken people, as broken people. We've gone through a lot. And some of us have had some, we, we don't know, but uh, very negative experiences as well. And some of us are very tired and wondering how we can be energized. Lord, some of us have weak faith that needs to be strengthened and dull mind that needs to be sharpened and discouraged heart that needs to be encouraged. Lord, we come to you looking at your hands that you will bestow upon us what we need desperately. Lord, we don't deserve your grace, but we can confidently and boldly ask for them because we are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, please speak through your word and grant us what we need so we can be different as a result of worshiping and meeting the real God, our Father, Heavenly Father. We pray that you will bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope your interest in the story of Esther, in the book of Esther, is, is growing, increasing as we study more and more each and every Sunday. Now, I have been looking at this book of Esther from the perspective of God's providence. As you know, I'm not the only one preaching in this English congregation, but that's the way I have been looking at this book. Now, the word providence is a huge concept that every Christian should wrestle with. I mean, 
unless your understanding of God's province grows, your faith will not grow either. So this, the, the truth of God's providence, the doctrine of God's providence, the word providence is a huge concept that every Christian should wrestle with. It is because God's providence is the truth that gives us a sure sense of security, confidence, and hope in the Christian life. So before I can begin my sermon for the text, uh, on the text for today, I'd like to, for us to think about the meaning of God's providence. Now, what is God's providence? And this is very necessary for our understanding of the book, book of Esther. Because when we consider the fact that the, the name of God is, is not mentioned at all in the book of Esther, and there's no expressions like, you know, the Jews prayed to the Lord, or, or the Lord blessed his people. There's no mention of God's name at all, directly or indirectly. However, God's providential hands are everywhere. That's what we need to find out from studying the book of Esther. Now, since God's name is not mentioned at all in the book of Esther, some scholars throughout history questioned the canonicity of this book. They say this book might not belong to the Old Testament because there's no mention of God at all. You know, how can an inspired book of God has no mention of God's name at all in it? Like I said, even though you don't hear the name of God, you don't find the name of God in the book of Esther, you cannot, you cannot uh, miss the fact that God's hands are everywhere. His providential intervention, guidance, care are everywhere. You cannot miss it. His footprints are, footprints are everywhere in the book of Esther. Now, he's the prime mover behind everything that moves in the book of Esther, borrowing from Aristotle. Now, for the definition of God's providence, Louis Burkhoff, he says, God's providence is the continued exercise of the divine energy whereby the Creator preserves all His creatures and is operative in all that comes to pass in the world. And listen to this, the third one. And directs all things to their appointed end. Direct all things to their appointed end. Now, Westminster, chapter, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5. In chapter 5, which is of God's providence, we have not only biblically accurate, but warm and encouraging definition of God's providence. I'm just going to quote from uh, chapter 5, uh, two articles, article 1 and article 7. Now, in article 1, it says, God the creator, the God the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. By his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Now, in the article 7, which is a lot simpler, it says, As the providence of God does, in general, reach to all creatures, so after most special manner, it takes care of his church. 
after a most special manner, it takes care of his church and disposes all things to the good thereof. You see that? His providential care, his general providential care is for all creatures. However, his special providential care is for his church, his people like you and me. Now, do you sometimes wonder whether God is really with you? Do you ask questions like, I mean, not verbally necessarily, but do you ask questions like, God, where are you? Or do you doubt that God cares for you? He often seems very far, doesn't he? Well, if you feel like that, you're not the only one then. And I believe, this is, I believe that that is one of the reasons why he provided the book of Esther. Because people in the book of Esther, the Jews, did not feel God's presence among them. Intimacy with God at all. However, through this book, God is saying, no matter how you feel about me, I am with you, and I'm taking care of you. That's the kind of message we're hearing from this book of Esther. Now, in order for us to have that kind of conviction, we must understand the nature of God's providence. It is because God reveals himself and he shows his care for his people through his providence. So with that in mind, let us go to the text. Now, in the previous sermons, we have seen the fall of the Queen Vasiti in chapter 1 and the rise of the new Queen, Queen Esther, in chapter 2. And the event that is recorded in the text for today seems somewhat irrelevant to the main storyline in chapters 1 and 2. In the text for today... Mordecai happens to discover a treason against the king against King Ahasuerus. It is an event that followed the celebration of Esther's coronation. So this is what, I'm, what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the story and make ourselves familiarized with the story. It's only four verses, one event. And then we're going to see what we can learn from this story. So let us go to the text first. Now, verse 19. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time. Now, the, for the identity of the virgins here, we don't know exactly who they were. Maybe they were the virgins that competed with Esther for becoming a queen. It's, it's unclear. And why they gathered for second time, we don't know exactly why. It possibly refers to the second gathering of the old virgins that had competed with Esther to celebrate her coronation, we don't know. But that's not, that's not as important. Now, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now, the king's gate was a place. It's not just one of the gates you see on, on, uh, in the movie. Uh, the, the king's gate here, particularly, was a place where justice was dis, uh, dispensed by officials, officials appointed by, by the king. So here we can see that Mordecai was a, was a government employee. He was, he was an official worked in the royal palace. Now, considering the fact that he was not from one of the major people groups in the Persian Empire, he was a Jew, it was remarkable that he held an office in the royal palace, even though it was a low-rank uh, position. 
Now, some of you remember a dear brother, uh, Mijito, right, from India. He was a diplomat working at the Indian embassy in Korea. Now, he was from an ethnic group called Nagars, which is a very minority group, one of the minority groups in India. Uh, it was a big deal for him to serve in the Indian, in Indian government. Uh, anyways, Mordecai was an intelligent fellow, wise, yes, and very strong-willed person. You will see that. He was, a, he was a wise, intelligent, and very strong-willed person. Now, some of us uh, take this notion of being very strong-willed as not like Christian-like, you know. Christians are not supposed to be strong-willed person. I don't think so. Christians, when it comes to the essentials, has to have very strong conviction and very strong will. Now, in verse 20, let's move on to verse, verse 20. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. Now, this is repeated, you know, when she was first uh, selected to, uh, to potentially become a uh, king's wife, you know, Mordecai told her not to reveal her ethnicity or people, you know, her origin to, to others. Now, why? It was probably because the Jews were regarded as low-class citizens in the Persian Empire, and Mordecai did not want to make Esther look contemptible by others. And Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Now, here, Esther, Esther obeyed Mordecai, not just in one thing. You know, Mordecai told her not to reveal her ethnic background, not just one, not just one thing, but in everything, uh, Esther obeyed Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. Now, this is why in my previous sermon in the KM, I said, I argued that Esther possessed a rare combination of inner beauty and external beauty and internal beauty. She was beautiful, yes. That's why she got selected. And also she was, she had, you know, a beautiful character, internally beautiful as well. Now, this is a very rare combination. And some of you might be thinking, I'm pretty outside, but I still have you know, Christian character. Now, this beauty, I'm not talking about you know, the most beautiful woman from Jamshir. You're talking about the most beautiful woman from Seoul. That kind of level of, of, of beauty. But she had this internal beauty as well. That's why she was liked and favored by, by everybody. In, in verse, uh, verse 15 in chapter 2, uh, let me turn there. It's the passage from last... Uh, Sunday, it says in verse 15 in chapter 2, Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Now, the beauty uh, usually invites lust and jealousy, right? If someone is beautiful, it usually invites lust or jealousy. But in this case, she was favored by all who were around her, which means she had not only external beauty, but also internal beauty, character. And probably one of the reasons why Esther lost her parents and became an orphan when she was a child was because God wanted to cultivate her internal beauty. In, in, in Romans, uh, what we just read in, in verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces 
character in NSAB. NSAB says proven character. I'm not saying all sufferings uh, bring about uh, beautiful character. Sometimes it, 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 it causes bitterness or, you know, uh, wrong, you know, uh, negative uh, pers- kind of personality. But in this case, in Esther's case, you know, uh, her sufferings produced character in her life. So even though she was exceeding, exceedingly beautiful on the outside, she was humble and virtuous inside. That's the point I'm trying to make. Now, her proven character remains the same even after, this is remarkable, she became the queen of Persia. Now, she's a lot higher in, in status than her cousin Mordecai now. She doesn't have to listen to him anymore. As a matter of fact, she can command him what to do. She's in that high position, but still humbles herself and listens to him and respects him. And in the story of, of, in the story of, 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 of God's uh, remarkable redemptions, redemption of the Jews in the book of Esther, he providentially used Esther's character and Mordecai's wisdom. Now in verse 21, In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. Now, we don't know exactly why these two eunuchs were angry at king, at the king. We don't know why they wanted to kill King Ahasuerus. However, since they had an access to the king, because they were eunuchs in, in service for the king, they would have, it, would have been, it would have been possible for them to kill, kill the king. So they had a plot to lay hands on the king. Now in verse 22, And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, which means Mordecai found out about that. And he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. Now, Mordecai happened to hear and notice a secret conspiracy against the king's life. So he then told Esther about that. Now, Mordecai could have or should have reported it to his supervisor, but instead he told he chose to tell Esther. Why? Because it was to help Esther to have better standing with the king. And also Esther uh, told the king in the name of in the name of Mordecai. He made he wanted to make the king to be more aware of a guy fellow named Mordecai. And when the affair was investigated in verse 23 and found to be so, the men were both hanged at the gallows, you know, this, you know, uh, the natural, you know, outcome. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, the whole thing was recorded in the Chronicles in the presence of King Ahasuerus. However, nothing was done to Mordecai, even though he deserved a great reward from the king. You know, he found out he literally saved king's life. Now, we understand that this particular event has a very significant uh, uh, impact on the entire story in the book of Esther, as we shall see later. However, none of the people in the story, you know, such as Mordecai and Esther or the king, had any idea why this took place and why the king forgot to reward Mordecai who saved his life. 
Why? So what can we learn from the story today? I'm going I'm to talk about three points. Look at this passage on the three headings. First, nothing happens accidentally. Nothing happens accidentally. And secondly, nothing happens independently of God's will. And thirdly, the providential operation of God does not happen instantly. So we're going to look at point number one and two together, kind of killing two birds with one stone. Nothing happens accidentally and nothing happens independently of God's will. Now, from the human perspective, someone could argue that Mordecai happened to be sit at the king's gate and he happened to you know, come to find out that there was a treason, there was a secret conspiracy against king's life by two of his eunuchs. However, when we see the whole picture, we cannot but admit that this event did not happen accidentally at all, nor did it happen independently of God's will. Years later, in chapter 6, in the book of Esther, this event, this particular event, plays a significant role in the entire story, and it causes a dramatic turning point. Now, in chapter 6, I'm not going to talk in details about chapter 6, because that's for, you know, later sermon. In chapter 6, on that night, this is the night before Haman tried to kill Mordecai. Remember, he set up, you know, a, a huge gallow on which he wanted to hang Mordecai? So on that night, the night before, the, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorial deeds, the chronicles, and they were, they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthan and, and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, king could not sleep that night. And what kind of king, you know, would want to read the chronicles on the sleepless night? He has a million different options to choose from. He can have a big feast in the middle of the night. He can have uh, his uh, concubines come and entertain him. He has a million different options. But he wanted to read the book of chronicles. His chronicles. It's like meeting minutes in the, in the royal palace. Now, things happen at the right time, in the right place, according to God's sovereign providence. Not just good things, but bad things as well. Things happen at the right time, in the right place. God's providence is like magical hands that can turn everything, both good and bad, into something wonderful for those who, whom he cares about. However, God's providential care is something we can only understand after it is done. We don't, we don't see the face of it. We only see the back of it. Now here, uh, Mordecai had no idea why he didn't get a reward from the king. Maybe he was complaining inside. Maybe he was you know, having bitterness for a you know, long time. But his reward came right at the time, and that which was a lot greater than he could ever imagine. It literally saved his life. 
Now, if you can look, at, look back on your life, you can see many events and many things that happened in your life and only made sense, perfect sense later. Now, I went to seminary in the States and I served at an American church in a white congregation and I preached uh, not every Sunday but occasionally in English. And I often complained and I was wondering why I was preaching in English because I had no, I, no intention of staying in the States to do, to, to do ministry in the States. My desire was to come back to Korea. And only after I came back to Korea, it made sense to me. Look what I'm doing now. Now, let's talk about the third point. The providential operation of God usually does not happen instantly. Now, if you're in the, in the shoes of Mordecai, you know, how would you feel? Because your, your commendables, these were completely ignored and neglected. There was no recognition, no reward at all. And you know how long it took from chapter 2 to the night that king could not sleep? It took four to five years. Long time. His commendable deeds were, had been ignored for, five, for several years. You see, God's timing is not our timing. But His timing is always right and perfect. God's timing is not our timing. We're, we're often impatient. We're saying, God, a lot of times we tend to impose our timetables on God and say to God something like this, God, you must do this now. Okay, it is time for you to do this now. I've tried this, I've done this, now you must, this is what, this is what you're supposed to be doing now. If not, you're making a big mistake now, it is, a, of course, a sure sign of pride. I believe Esther and Mordecai, they were both being trained and disciplined to discern God's providential timetables and conform their lives to them. They did not, they did not know what would happen, and they did not know why thing, certain things were happening. They had no idea. But they learned to admit that even though they did not know, they did know that God knew. That's trusting in God's providence. God's providence is always good for His people. We don't know. We don't know what our future will hold. We don't know why certain things are happening in our lives. We don't know. But starting from the scripture and reading stories like this, we should know that God knows. You see, there are many stories about God's, how God's timetables are often vastly different from our timetables. Remember Joseph in, the, in prison? He was in prison for wrong reason. He was in prison for almost two years. You know, uh, he had a chance to uh, use his gift of interpreting the dreams, right? There was, a, there was the cupbearer, of, of king's cupbearer, who, you know, who was put in jail together with him and, and, and uh, Baker. And he interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and hoping to be released from the prison 
So he says to the cupbearer, he says, Remember me when it, when it is well with you, which means when you are released, remember me, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. Get me out of this house. And he was hoping to be released probably next day. But the next verse, which is Genesis 41, says, After two whole years. After two whole years. Now, some of you, I assume that, are teaching English here in Korea. I know that teaching children is very challenging because I used to be a Hagon owner. Especially, like, if you don't, if you're like naturally born child lover, you know, it's very difficult to be dealing with uh, kindergarten, you know, like elementary school students. And you say, okay, just one year in Korea. Okay, in two years maximum, I'm going to get out of here, right? And I know that some of you are stuck here, right? You know, I mean, not bad. And, you know, I love my country, and nothing wrong with that, you know. There are, there are things that I like about America, you know. I don't hate America, but I prefer to live in Korea, you know. Let me put it that way. So my plan was to study only for three years, for doing MDF. MDF takes, you know, minimum three years. I've tried my best, got it done in three years. I was ready to check out, and Lord guided me to stay two more years. So I ended up staying five years. It was necessary, according to God's timetable. Now, you can, you can, you can uh, devise your own plans, but it is the Lord who directs your plans. You can, you can have plans, plans belong to you, but it is the Lord who will guide your step. You will learn that more and more. Now, there is a time for everything that happens to you and, and me. It is not a random time, but the times that are ordained and controlled by God's absolute sovereign providence. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about his time. And he says, my time has not come yet. My time has not come yet. He often said that. But at, it was at Gethsemane, he finally said, see, the hour is at hand. Jesus neither rushed himself to the cross, nor he was hesitant to go there. He perfectly obeyed God's timetable. His father's appointed time. However, we, not all of us, but many of us, have the tendency to react in two different, two extreme ways when we are under difficult or frightful circumstances. You know, we're, we're often put in these uh, difficult or frightful circumstances, and then we react or respond in two different, two different ways. One way is to react or respond when we are under difficult or frightful circumstances is to try to do many things frantically. We think we must do everything and anything on our own to keep us safe. They don't even go to sleep. They think about what, what must be done. I got to do this, I got to do that. You know, one of the reasons why people die from drowning before the rescue team arrives is because they just move too much and be exhausted. 
I wonder sometimes we do that, you know, spiritually. When we, when we try to do things frantically in order to rescue ourselves, we actually end up aggravating the situation. Of course, we should do what we're supposed to do, but we also need to learn to yield ourselves to God. The wisdom will teach you how much you should do and when to do and how to do. And the other extreme way, we often react and respond under difficult or frightful circumstances is to be just frozen. To be just frozen and unable to do the things that we're supposed to do. Have you been there before? You just can't do anything. You can't do your daily routines. You don't even want to get up and get out of the house. Those who trust in God's providence is the ones who can live out their daily routines. Even under the difficult and frightful circumstances, they work under the sun and they go to sleep at night because God's providence is like a comfortable bed in which they can rest and sleep. A lot of times, we feel that we don't deserve His providential care and guidance. Actually, we don't. You know, the Jews in the book of, book of Esther, they were in exile. They were driven into exile. Why? Because of their continued sin of idolatry. And God often called them a stiff-necked people, which means people never change, who never, people who never change, who never turn away from their sin. However, it's, an, it's awesome to, to notice this. God's providential care and protection followed them, even into their exile, and stayed with them because they were his people. Now, if you look at, you know, like, you know, patriarchs like, you know, uh, Jacob, his name means deceiver. He didn't act in decent ways at all. But God engineered the whole course of his life so that he could become the ancestor. That was his appointed that was his appointed end for him. He became the ancestor of Israel. Often God's providence puts us under difficult or frightful circumstances. We're, 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 we're put under uh, difficult or frightful circumstances, not only because we live in the sinful world, sin bro- broken world, and as broken people with a bunch of broken people, but also I think one of the reasons is because when we are under difficult and frightful circumstances, we're made to see God's providence more clearly. It is like when, you know, providence is like, like the stars in heaven. You know, there, there are stars in heaven all the time as God's providence is all the, always there. But under the sun, when you are under the sun, you don't see the stars. Only in the dark, you see the stars. That's why we're put in difficult circumstances. Now, I'd like to conclude my sermon by reading from Psalm 94. Beautiful psalm. 
I read, was encouraged this week. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence, which means I would have died. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. Now listen to this verse 19. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When the, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Now, brothers and sisters, let us be encouraged. No matter what you're going through, let us, let us be encouraged because God's providence will not leave us alone. He will always carry us. You know, providence means both of His protection and provision. His providence means His protection and provision. He will protect you and He will provide you with all you need. Think about this. His providential care reaches out to millions of people at the same time, even right now. How awesome and wonderful He is. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your inscrutable wisdom and power and love revealed through your providence. Thank you for your, for your general blessing that you preserve our lives. And thank you for your special providence that is given to your church. Lord, there are moments in, in our lives that we, we become so frightened or so anxious. But when we understand and trust in your providence, we can be at ease and at rest because you are in absolute sovereign control of everything in this world. And nothing escapes your control. And you mean good to your children. And you're a good God for us. We thank you so much for the fact that you are our Heavenly Father. And you take care of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.